What up, NBA fans? How are we? Um, welcome into another week of Dropping Dimes. We are here to discuss all the playoffs thus far across eight series. Most of them have played two games. Uh, two series have played one game. Their second games are scheduled to go tonight, and that is Milwaukee and Boston and uh, my beloved Bulls versus the Milwaukee Bucks, but everybody else has played two games. Hell, Philly and Toronto play game three tonight. I don't understand some of the scheduling on this where two teams are about to play their third game and four teams haven't even played two yet, but whatever. Neither here nor there. We are here to discuss the NBA actions, action, um, the playoffs as they've unfolded thus far. And now the looming injuries, they're going to change the complexion of some of these series. And how some may not be as affected as others. I'm looking at you, Dallas. Uh, stepped up, but we'll start with the uh, last night's games. And then I guess we'll kind of just work uh, backwards from there. So last night we opened up and it's heat versus Hawks for game two. And in the first half, it looked like it was going back and forth. They were trading blows. Uh, but I think ultimately the difference in that game is the heat's defensive pressure was enough to kind of rattle Atlanta and get them out of the sets that they wanted to run. Trey uh, young had God, what 10 turnovers, just did not have a good game by his standard. He didn't have a good game in the first one. Although that first game, it's kind of tough when they have a Friday game and they turn around and then they have the early game on Sunday. Um, not exactly advantageous for them having just gone through, you know, the play in two play in games, then to get to the playoffs and have to play in the early game on Sunday. But, you know, if you didn't want that, to happen, then you need to have a better record, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not here to litigate the play-in game, which I am a fan of. Um, I had a discussion on Saturday with a Clippers fan about how stupid the play-in game is and how unfair it is. And Like, yeah, you know, I don't think you guys were so wildly ahead that you shouldn't have been in, whereas Minnesota, I think, should have been out. Uh, they're just up by so many games. But the Hawks just don't seem to have, as of right now, an answer. For the Heat. Do I think the Heat are going to sweep them? No, I think the Hawks can get a game off them. But the Heat are just playing with intensity, but playing defensively um, with a lot of answers. You know, trapping Trey. They've got him, what, once or twice on the sideline. There was a key turnover at one point where he got trapped on the sideline and then tried to scurry his way out, and that was a turnover. Um and they're forcing him into uh, passes that he doesn't like, which are causing turnovers. Um, he traveled on one because he met defensive pressure and tried to establish a pivot foot, but his momentum was taking him so much that he slid with his pivot foot. And then the ref rightly called a travel. And the look on Trey's face was like, how, how is that a travel? Like, okay, we all, we all know that was a travel. And, you know, this isn't a hate on Trey situation because as he proved in those playing games, like the guy can step up to the moment. He's more than happy to do it. Um, I just don't think with Capella out and John Collins just got back, but can't imagine that John Collins is at full strength. They aren't exactly who they should be. Although that's been kind of the tale of the season for them and Miami the most under-the-radar number one maybe in the history of the NBA. And I realize that everybody's prone to hyperbole. Um, but usually, in the NBA, it works like this. The better team is going to make it to the end. And normally, the seeding takes, you know, a number one overall. Everybody assumes they're making it, at the very least, a tough semifinal out, if not making it to the Eastern Conference Finals because they were number one overall. And the Heat have just been slept on. And uh, I don't know that you're going to get 
tons of performances like that from Jimmy Butler. I mean, he went, what, three of four from three, which is very un-Jimmy-like. Although this is what I do like about Jimmy, especially in the playoffs. He doesn't shoot threes unless the team needs it. He's not going to be out there to force shots from three. Now he'll four shots from other areas on the court, which are his comfort zones. And that's what every player does. Um, but usually threes for him are, I need to bail my team out right now, or it's late in the shot clock or the offense has stagnated and we need kind of a kick in the ass. And I mean, he came out pretty much on fire. So the heat looked like they're just going to be a handful for the Hawks. And I'm going to give the Hawks the benefit of the doubt and say, you'll get, you'll get one off of them. This isn't going to be a, a clean sweep. It'll be a gentleman sweep and lick your wounds, come back healthy next year. Perhaps, you know, pare down the roster a little bit. I, I don't know what their front office is going to do. They still have, you know, questions as to the long-term trajectory of the franchise, but, um, you know, it just doesn't look good for the Hawks right now. And the heat seemed to be rolling. I mean, that defense was stifling. The only thing I, I can say for the heat is Kyle Lowry is really acting up a storm in a lot of this. And, uh, it's, it's not exactly the most fun to see, to watch somebody try. And like when he pulled down Bogdanovich, just straight pulled him down, was trying to get a foul. And then he was, what was the one where he was running up the court and think it was Hunter. He just ran into the back of him and then shoved his left arm underneath Hunter's right and pushed into him and acted like this was Hunter's fault. And like, Kyle, you're initiating all this contact and uh, we all see it. I don't know who you think you're fooling, but this is ridiculous. Um, but the, I mean, the heat looked First half, it was close. In the second half, they broke it wide open. And uh, they just got a lot of depth. And everybody seems to know their role. And they're swarming on defense and switching. And uh, on offense, it's cutting and movement and setting screens and back screens and pin downs and everything else. Um, So we have to assume that they're moving on. And by the time we get around to, you know, the next week's show, we might be officially putting dirt on the grave of the Hawks season. And that's might easily be saying the same for my Bulls as well. So we're in the same boat, Hawks fans. Um, anyway, let's move on because I don't think there's as much to discuss. The next game of the night was the Grizzlies and T-Wolves. And dear God was, if you are a Grizzlies fan, that was a great game. I was just looking for a great game. It was relatively close for a while. And then once the Grizzlies kind of turned up the intensity, Minnesota just couldn't match. What was interesting is Minnesota, like Ant, Cat, and Russell, all were kind of non-existent on the court. I mean, Cat got into some early foul trouble, which does affect your play after that. And Edwards got cooking a little bit later in the game. But especially in that first half, man, the three of them were fairly non-existent. I mean, the most memorable thing from Russell was that uh, he thought he got fouled on the three and threw up that prayer, assuming he was going to get the call and would get three shots, and it went in. That's basically the only thing I remember from D'Angelo Russell in the first half. And Cat, it's free throws, or not free throws, but fouls. And Anthony Edwards, it was missing his shots. And that's what I remember from the three of them. Whereas Ja was on a mission from God. Let's all enjoy this now. Because the amount he goes flying into defenders and into the paint, I don't know how long this lasts. I mean, he did make a couple threes, and hopefully in time he extends his game out and takes advantage of that, you know, sits down with some other guards out there uh, and just figures out how to 
temper the amount of times he feel like he needs to go he needs to go barreling into the rim. But I mean, it it caused the defense to collapse down, and then you have kickouts. Like he provides so much momentum for that offense, it would really change the complexion of what they do. At least in this season, if he were to throttle back how often he is trying to get to the cup. Um, but there were just a couple where he's going flying in and I'm watching going, I hope nobody is in his landing area because if he lands and like rolls an ankle, that's going to be a severely bad rolled ankle. And he did get that Charlie horse in the leg from cat. And he's going to be feeling that one for a while. I don't know if any of you have ever gotten a really bad Charlie horse. Um, shit. I had one once where I got a knot in the muscle in my leg from a Charlie horse and it lasted for months. Now I, it was mostly pain free, but you could feel it. And there was still this big, huge lump in my leg from the Char- Charlie horse I got. And the one he got from cat. I mean, he just got drilled. He got hit a couple times that slapped by Beverly into the ball that then hit him in the face. There was uh, one in the first quarter with cat where they ran into each other. Um, and some people were saying online that Cat was hunting out, trying to hurt Ja at certain points. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's the case or not. I mean, it seemed like he was setting tough screens in the moment. I don't know if I would go as far to say he's hunting it out and trying to do some damage on Ja. Plus, that goes against a, a lot of what we know about Cat. He doesn't seem that type of player, but same time it's playoffs intensity goes up and you know, Minnesota did what Minnesota needed to do, which is you need as the lower seed, you need to win one of the first two games on the road to make it a series. The the old adage is it's not a series until you win one on the road. So taking one of two on the road, just like Utah although Utah's in a different boat. Uh, but Minnesota taking one there, well, now you get to go home and you got two games at home. So now the goal becomes protect home. And the flip side becomes true for Memphis. You just need to win one of these. And then, because you have the home court and then you just can't lose serve at home again. And for... The Grizzlies, like Jaron Jackson, didn't have the best of games, but here's where their depth wins out. Like they started Steven Adams, and I think rightly so. They kind of pulled him um, because the the quickness and everything that Minnesota provides makes him somewhat a liability out there. Plus, on offense, unless he's going to run to the rim, he reduces the spacing that you have overall um, in a situation like this. Now, it's proven out over the course of the season that they can easily win with Steven Adams in there. And plus, you know, he's a guy that's going to go out there and bang and get rebounds and create a defensive presence. Um, at the very least, you have to respect it when you come into the lane. Now, he's not Gobert or Jaron Jackson or any number of other players, but you still have to extend respect to the guy. And if I'm Minnesota, it's like I I only take so much to heart from last night. You had a bad game from your three primary guys, and you got whooped. But the series is now one to one, and you're just playing best, you know, first to three, is what it is at this point. Who can ever get? Whoever can get three wins wins this series, and Minnesota has a shot. I thought. Last night's game was going to be indicative of what we saw primarily throughout this series. And then Minnesota Soda comes out and be like, we're not going to go quietly into that night and really punched Memphis in the mouth. Memphis looked dejected at the end of game one and rightly so they were anticipating coming in and, uh, you know, setting the world ablaze and proving all the doubters wrong, solidifying everyone's opinion or actually go, you know, flying in the face of everyone's opinion, but solidifying their stance as the number two overall seed. So to lose game one when you're all hyped and Memphis, you know, the 
the crowd, the town, everybody is ready for this. And grit and grind 2.0, we now have another team that could contend. But now we go to Minnesota in the next game. And I mean, if, if Boston and Brooklyn didn't exist as a series, like I did last week, I ranked them. Memphis, Minnesota was my second most anticipated. And I think game three is going to be more of the same where so long as Minnesota's big three come out, we're going to be trading punch for punch until the end. And we're going to see a lot of that. I think if Memphis loses, though, Dylan Brooks should have to shave his head. He has quite possibly the worst hairstyle I think I've ever seen in the NBA. It's pretty terrible. He looks like we time traveled and he was just introduced as the newest member of Corn. It's bad. I don't understand that look at all. He's got a rat tail on the back and the two braids that come and frame his face. And just like I in the front, I, I don't understand. There's also an age gap of 15, 16 years. And, uh, you know, who am I to bring it up? But at the same time, dear God, Owen Hart said worse than Alfred Payton. Yes. Yes. Worse than Alfred Payton for me. Uh, it's like, it's not even close. This is the worst hairstyle I've ever seen in the NBA that I can think of. Now you guys could provide examples in the, the chat of others. But that thing looks brutal to me. But once again, I'm a 43-year-old guy, and he's 24 or something. We're not in the same cultural like uh, pools. I We exist on, on different cultural planes. Um, so from an outsider's perspective, that's all I'm saying. But yeah, that that series... Boy, that looks like I, I said four to two Memphis. Uh, this easily could be four three. I still like Memphis in the series just because they have more depth overall. You have more guys that you can trust on there. Yeah, you, you have, you know, Ja and Jaron Jackson Jr., but then there's Bain and Dylan Brooks. And then we get into like, you know, Tillman last night was great and he. He's shown in the playoffs before he can be a plug and play type player. And they, they just have more guys that if they were to go off, I'm not as surprised by. Whereas Minnesota, if you're getting huge runs out of Malik Beasley or something, who is their best three point shooter. But I can't think of a time where I watched them this season and he was the focus of their offense, but I only watched them a handful of times. They were not one of my regularly scheduled teams. So I easily could have missed it. But I only watched a handful of Minnesota games. Uh, and perhaps going forward, I'll have to change that You know, next year. If they make a good showing in the playoffs here, and it looks like next year they're going to be trending upward again, well, I'll have to make more time to watch Minnesota next year. Um, but anyway, let's move on because we got – Series for days to discuss here. And then the last one of the night, which was Pelicans and Suns. And what everybody, myself included, felt that this was going to be one of the best potentials for a sweep in the opening round. 4-1, I believe, is what I said if the Pelicans made it in. Uh, I think, you know, with Booker now going down, so he's got a hamstring strain. He got it in the third quarter with... About five minutes left in the third. He was going up for a block, a chase down block from behind, and uh, came up kind of favoring his right hamstring. And by the breakdowns I saw online from uh, doctors and physiotherapists and stuff like that, it's more than likely a grade one hamstring strain or uh, however you want to term it. Um, I mean, I'm sure he's going in for an MRI and all the diagnostics you can get. But with a grade one strain, he's looking to be out for probably seven to 10 days, which very well could take him through the entirety of this first round series. And suddenly it changes the complexion. Now, the weird thing is I watched a, a 
pretty good number of Phoenix games this year. And CP goes out, and they don't miss a beat. They keep winning. And then at one point when CP was out, Booker went out, and the team went 3-1 and one with Booker out while CP was out. So you assume they can bounce back. You just get an increased role from Mikhail Bridges. Aiton will step up uh, a slight bit more. But basically, if you look at his numbers, I did it on a, a show a month or so ago. Um, his numbers basically just stayed the same with CP and Booker out. Went up a slight bit, but Bridges, Cam Johnson, Alfred Payton, like everybody else, their numbers escalated. So you assume that any team, if there's any team that can weather the storm of losing, their, uh, depending on how you view the team, their apex predator. You could say it's CP, but Devin Booker is going to end up higher on uh, all NBA selections and more than likely he's going to make the top five for MVP. Um, but if there's any team that can weather that storm, it's Phoenix. And then on the flip side, man, kudos to the Pels. Because here's a team that's sub 500. They started off the year rough as can be obviously no Zion, but then Brandon Ingram was out and they just, they were in molasses to open the season. <clears throat> and then they get BI back and they played basically 500 ball for the rest of the season. They it's uh, the trade deadline. They get CJ, they get Larry Nance um, who have both been big form in the playoff or the play in games. And then in last night's game as well, um, you know, Nance has been sneaky effective in a bunch of these games. So now you have between CJ and Ingram, you got two guys that can score from anywhere on the court. And last night, Ingram looked just money over and over and over again. He had several shots uh, where they weren't going in, but the fluidity with which he was shooting them, I assumed they were going in. It looked like it was going to be a somewhat unconscious night for Ingram. And the Pels are going to be a problem for New Orleans uh, because last night, like, or not for New Orleans, pardon me, the Pels are going to be a problem for the, the Suns. The Suns were struggling to get any kind of offense going late in the game and it could just be like you know sometimes shots don't fall and they rattle off three straight wins and we're looking back on this going well you know the sky wasn't falling they just had a bad game uh but it's also the suns are the number one team in the league by a mile their record is impressively good and then you get into the advanced stats of how they've played over the entire duration of the season. Because there's a bunch of teams where, hey, if you started January 1st, Dallas or Boston or whomever could be the best team in basketball. And then you look at Phoenix and be like, yeah, but from the tip to right now, they've been in the discussion as the best team. They've had a bullseye on their back in the West for the entire season, and they still kicked everybody's ass. So now if you're going to lose Booker for, I would say, minimum games three, four, five, and six. Hypothetically, you know, he could be back for six. I don't I don't think there's a chance in hell he's back for three, four, and five if it is just a straight grain, grade one strain, given the normal trajectory of uh, how long it takes to come back and get back to hundred percent. Cause the thing with the hamstring, I pulled mine once years and years and years ago. Um, but if you don't let it rest fully, it's really easy to do damage to it and then to exacerbate it, make it worse. So you need to get back to full health before you can push that hamstring. So the Suns would be, you know, it would behoove them to hold off on playing Booker, even if he thinks he's ready. You need to go through drills and prove to us that there is no pain whatsoever. Because if we bring you back too early and say uh, a game 
six when we could have you rest and we have to play a game seven if it goes that long. And then you re-injure that in six, even if we win seven, you're now going to be out for a chunk, if not all of round two. And that's not the point. The point here is to win a championship, not to win a round. And I realize you can't do one without the other, but if your goal is championship or bust, you need to play this like chess and not checkers. And he, he is such a competitive guy. Some people are calling him Kobe light. Um, I can see him wanting to push himself and be like, I'm fine. I can get back out there. I can do it. And you might need much like the Stepien rule for owners and GMs. You might need to stop him from hurting himself because he's more than happy to do it thinking that he can overcome. Um, to safeguard him from his own worst tendencies just because he is so competitive and is willing to push himself. But boy, this series got real interesting real quick. I figured this would be the the dullest of all. And last night's game was great. Um, just going back and forth and back and forth. What was it? At one point they flashed a stat up on the, the screen. I think they said there was 18 lead changes. And there was still a ton of time left. It just shows you how good the game was for somebody who doesn't, you know, I don't care who wins. Le you know, just because I say, oh, I think the Suns are going to win 4-1 or 4-0 doesn't mean that I am now actively rooting against the Pels because I want to be so desperately right. It's like, I, I don't care about any of that. I would rather have... Every series goes seven games, personally, except for the Bulls. I would like it to be done at this point in five games and we just win the next four. All the others, though, I am happy to see go seven. Um, all right, so let's move on. Uh, we could probably just swing over to tonight's games and then we'll go... So that'll take us through six series, and then we have two series left, and we'll discuss those and close out. So tonight's games, you've got three on the docket. You've got Brooklyn versus Boston for game two, Philly versus Toronto for game three, and then Chicago versus Milwaukee for game two. Uh, let's start with Sixers and Raptors. And the Sixers are up two to zero. And Scotty Barnes was practicing earlier today without a boot on. That's where we're at with the state of the Raptors. Him and Gary Trent. Gary Trent is going to play tonight. And Nick Nurse said Barnes might play. But if Barnes is not going to be 100% and he's going to be tentative on that ankle... And Gary Trent doesn't look 100% if you've watched it. And Van Vliet is just getting back, and I still don't know if he's 100%, although he's out there playing a lot. Uh, this could be the sweep on top of Miami being the other. I still think the Hawks can get one, but if injuries are going to take out Toronto, in my opinion, their best player, just because he gives them so much flexibility. And at least, because otherwise, you know, when he was out, they had to start Precious Achua at the center position. But they've got nobody that's going to draw fouls. I mean, the free throw disparity in the last game was disgusting. It was an 18 free throw margin lead in Philly's favor. And... Toronto had 12 free throws in total, which is how many free throws Joel had in the first quarter. And if you go back and watch Joel's free throws where he drew the fouls, of the six fouls that he drew, I would say three to possibly four legit fouls, and he should get the shots for those. There was one where it was nothing. It was a ticky-tack. That should be let go. And that's another thing. The refs have been really inconsistent numerous times to open the first quarter, especially it's just been a foul fest and they're blowing the whistle nonstop and we're stuck at the free throw line 
And it's a, you know, that Minnesota Memphis first quarter last night took fucking forever. And Philly and Toronto, it's roughly about the same. But Embiid is getting the bulk of these. So of those six fouls, like I said, three were legit. That's a straight up foul. There was a fourth and be like, you know what? If you're calling it, sure. And there were two others where we were like, that's Tiki Tack. This is the playoffs. Why is he getting that call? Um, and I've seen Philly fans defend it and be like, listen, letter of the law, that's a foul. And be like, this is the playoffs, and you fucking know it. The others, I agree with you. You know, these two, no chance. No chance. And Beat gets a pretty healthy whistle. He also flops a decent amount when he gets the foul. You know, for a guy as big as he is, he can get knocked down a bunch. And, uh, yeah, never thought I'd see a blatant Giannis flop, but there was one in the first game against the Bulls where Caruso somehow knocked him over on the baseline. And you're like, come on, man. You get a ton of fouls anyway. And I'm of the belief that about 95% of them are fully earned because you're just barreling into the lane and you're not committing an offensive foul. The defense is committing a foul on you. That one was pathetic. Um, but Toronto, I mean, if you're not going to force the issue inside, look, Embiid gets to the line, Harden gets to the line, and the real X factor was Maxi, and he just went off. You, I mean, you even somewhat took Harden out of his game a little bit, or at least... Harden has evolved to be officially a different player than he's been in the past, um, which is going to be interesting depending on how far Philly makes it in the playoffs. Would you actually max extend to Harden? I don't, I think Mori uh, is over a barrel and he kind of has to, but I think Philly might be screwed if they extend Harden for a max. Because the last probably two years of that contract, he's going to be making an obscene amount of money and he's not going to be earning anywhere near the value of what that contract is set to honor. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. It just, if Toronto is not going to be at full health, unfortunately, what I thought was going to be the friskiest team coming in is just going to get drummed straight out of the playoffs because you're going to have to rely on, you know, Kim Birch for extended minutes and guys usually that kind of spark plug for you and come in and play spot minutes still in the rotation, but you don't have to rely on heavily. And if Gary Trent is not going to be at hundred percent and Scotty Barnes surely isn't going to be at hundred percent, you're going to have to rely on those guys more. And once you start getting deeper and deeper into Toronto's bench while they're frisky and interesting i don't know that i trust any of them to shoulder the weight of having to carry an offense whereas on philly's side it's like Embiid's going to get his you have no answer there and if maxi is able to exploit you like he did in game two well then that just takes all the pressure off of james harden suddenly tobias harris is in a uh a spot up role and he should thrive in that and this team makes a lot more sense now game three tonight Matisse is out because he didn't get his second shot for uh, COVID. So that's going to, you know, alter the de defensive identity of what Philly is able to pull off. But can Toronto match the offensive output that Philly is about to bring? We'll see, but it doesn't. Unfortunately, Chicken Little might be right on this one, and the sky is falling for Toronto fans. Um, but all right, let's move on. Uh, all right, first game. Well, well, we'll we'll get to my Bucks and Bulls. I will say this: watching the game, there was a point at which the Bulls could have given up and just gotten housed, and we didn't. We fought. We kept them honest. They still won, but we got a piss-poor game from Levine, DeRozan, and Vooch. All three played bad. 
and we were not fully out of that game. Now, Milwaukee was in the driver's seat, but they were up by much larger margins, and we clawed our way back in. So that is good to see. The team has heart in these situations. It's a first playoff game for Levine. Um, not many guys have real playoff experience on this team. Caruso has uh, the most as far as making it all the way to the finals and winning a chip and playing meaningful minutes, being an integral part of that Lakers team's identity and, uh, uh, you know, reason for success. And DeRozan has made playoff pushes in the East before. So he's got it and Vooch is on the magic. So they make the playoffs, but they never make any noise. And, you know, we have guys that have made the playoffs, but not made it exceedingly deep. And to see them rather than just give up to put forth effort and make Milwaukee earn it was fantastic to watch. The game sucked, obviously, for me, but there were some bright spots and some silver linings, that being the biggest of them. Now, with all that being said, Milwaukee's a better team of the top six before injuries and all that Chicago was any of those other five teams choice to take on in the first round. Um, and I think, you know, for someone like Milwaukee who can play really well on both sides of the ball, it's a tall order for us to be able to really make them earn it. And I still think, as a homer, this goes 4-2. But I would not be shocked if it went 4-1. I mean, best case scenario, I think, for the Bulls at this point is it goes seven games and we win game seven. That is the absolute best case scenario. Uh, I just don't see a world in which that exists. And Milwaukee looks like they'll make it out of the first round. That's Once again, we're only one game in. Uh, but I just, with their championship experience and guys knowing that it's seven games, but you just got to take them one at a time and having done that and gotten to the mountaintop, they can do it again. Um, and when you have Giannis out there, who is easily the best player on the floor in this series, like it is a huge difference between him and, and DeRozan. Like there is a chasm between those two guys. And DeRozan is an excellent player. But Giannis is just excellent on both sides of the ball. And as he's extended his range out from three further and further and further, um, it's not like he's, you know, shooting at league average or better, but he keeps you honest. It just opens up the lanes and makes him even more effective driving to the hoop. Uh, and hopefully tonight, once again, the goal as the lower-seeded team is to win one on the road. So perhaps we can take game two in Milwaukee. We'll find out tonight. Um, then the other game tonight, should we get to the other two series? Let's get to the other two series, and we'll close with game one tonight. Um, we'll do Golden State and Denver next. <sighs> this is another one where I didn't foresee sweep, but I figured Golden State would win. But watching this, I just feel bad for Jokic. I mean, he's out there giving his all, not to say that his teammates aren't as well, but they just don't have anywhere near the firepower to match Golden State. I mean, nothing. Golden State has so much shooting depth that if Curry has a bad night, you got Clay. And if Clay has a bad night, you got Poole. And really, at this point, it should be Curry than Poole. But I'm giving respect to Clay because he's won multiple championships. We've seen him. There are very few players that can get hotter than Clay Thompson. Um, but then 
if those guys, well, maybe you get a Wiggins night. And if it's not a Wiggins night, then maybe it's a, a you know, a masterclass performance from Draymond that he's just doing everything from defense to being the point guard on offense, which he's basically their de facto point guard in a lot of possessions anyway, uh, the one that's orchestrating the offense. And he's, you know, expressed publicly what's great about the maturation of pool is a lot of the sets that he runs with Curry, where it's a two man game and give and go, he sets a screen and then Curry pivots off and they just keep, keep probing the defense until they can find an open shot for him. Pool is plug and play in that. And then you still have clay Thompson looming over there who has with more minutes and time has been consistently, you know, slowly morphing back into clay. He's not there yet, but he is on a proper trajectory where it's just like, listen, you had so much time off that this is more than likely going to be you just accruing small bits and taking small bits. It's like advancing lines in a war. Usually it's, it's by incremental fashion. You're just slowly inching your line closer and closer and closer uh, to its destination and goal. And then on the flip side, you watch Denver and, and outside of Jokic, it's really tough to see who's going to get a bucket on that team. Is it going to be Barden? Is it going to be Morris? I don't trust Gordon. And then after you get past Gordon, it's like, if DeMarcus is in there, then Jokic is on the bench uh, getting some rest, which he desperately needs. But I don't know if I trust DeMarcus at this point more than short bursts. Now, he can't go off and then suddenly like, oh, in this eight minutes, DeMarcus had 11 points. That's entirely possible. But you're not going to run out a two-tower set of DeMarcus and Jokic. Maybe you do, though. Maybe you mix it up and say, screw it, we're going to do this because Golden State doesn't have the size to match you on that end. You know, you're going to have Looney and Bielitsa and, you know, some combination of those two plus Draymond or combination of one of those two plus Draymond out there at all times, well, that just reduces the number of shooting, but you still have more shooters. Um, but yeah, I just don't, once you get past Jokic, it's like, I don't have the slightest clue who in the world is going to step up on this team. And that sucks. You're wasting. He's going to be an MVP that gets his trophy and his team has already bowed out of the playoffs. And that very rarely happens. The last one I remember is Dirk. And watching him accept the award when his team was already out of it uh, was sad. And that one was more egregious because that team was number one overall and lost to the We Believe Warriors at number eight. Uh, and what's interesting is during the season, the We Believe Warriors had the series, the season series over them. You know, one of the few teams that did. But in this one, it's just like Jokic was the lower seed and he's missing the two other best players on the team. And it really shows. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to shake out for the nuggets other than I, I hope for your sake, you get a game. Cause Jokic is going to win MVP and then it's just going to give all the people that want to shit on Jokic ammunition to justify their case. And if the inverse were true and, and Embiid was going to win MVP and they got drummed out in the first round, the same thing would apply. It's like, is this his fault? If Embiid was on Denver and Embiid was about to win the MVP, but Denver has the rest of that supporting cast uh, and they lost in the opening round the knives would be out, although not as sharp than they would be for Jokic because I don't think Denver has as large or vocal a fan base as Philly does. But if roles were reversed and Jokic was on Philly and Embiid was on Denver and then this happened to Denver, I think Philly fans would come out, knives sharpened to express their frustration, the fact that Jokic didn't get MVP and this guy couldn't even lead his team 
through a first round series. Uh, when you look at the competition they're facing, the Warriors are a much better team right now than Toronto is. Uh, but what are you going to do? All right, then the two series left. Utah and Dallas. This was all set up for Utah. And they lose game two. Jalen Brunson just made himself a little bit more money off of one game. He was already probably going to get in the ballpark of like a four-year, 23 to $25 million a year contract, more than likely. And now I'm curious as to whether or not someone bumps that up even more and gets him into the four-year, like 120-ish million range, which seems excessive for Jalen. I think 20 mil might be about right. I mean, Dallas, I was looking at their salary cap after that game, their contracts for next year, and they're already over the luxury tax into the luxury tax by $3 million. And that's before re-signing Brunson. And there are a couple guys they could cut. Some have partially guaranteed contracts and others could be cut uh, straight out and they'll be all right, but they're only going to have nominal savings there. And the amount of money that you're going to have to pay Brunson, Brunson might be a sign and trade um, and goes to somewhere else that can pay that, that, contract long-term and Dallas would just have to eat a little bit of the tax in one year, as opposed to multiple, but Brunson stepped up. I mean, look, Utah with Luca out, this is a team designed entirely around one player and that one player leaves. So you take game one and coming into it, you're like, all right, will you be able to take game two? And you should, And Brunson was like, not on my watch, and goes off. Flat out goes off. And the weird thing is, watching game one, Utah wins it, but they were still pissed off at each other numerous points. And then game two, it's they're pissed off at each other again. Even if they win this first round, like this team is so ready to implode, it's kind of fascinating. I can't remember the last time I saw a team like this where you can just tell they do not enjoy playing with one another and they have a boatload of talent. They've been number one in the West with this group, uh, a prohibitive favorite technically on paper to make some noise, but we've all said the same thing. Well, show me in the playoffs, Utah, because I don't believe it. Otherwise you guys seem to flame out pretty consistently in the playoffs and losing game two, Without Luca, looks very much like holy shit. Utah might flame out again, and the prognosis for for Luca is so for his calf strain. It depends on how the severity of the strain, obviously, but where it was initially diagnosed, um, should keep him out for roughly about ten ten days on the best case scenario which brings him back missing game three, potentially game four. And if the strain was more severe, then he could miss game four as well. And then I'm not sure as to when he comes back and what the prognosis would be, but he's got to hit a a few different metrics. It's the same thing as the the hamstring. You need to be out there in pregame, running, cutting, jumping, doing close to simulated game action and feeling zero pain whatsoever. Cause if there's any pain, then we can't have you play because there's a good chance you could re-injure and you'd be out for much longer anyway. And we got to protect your health. Um, so no Luca, just like, man, Utah might be up two nil on this. And to see Dallas respond and really show up. I think if, if Dallas were to win game three, um, I think Utah is so dysfunctional right now 
that this could be 4-1 in Dallas's favor and Luka doesn't even come back. Now, do I think it'll go that way? No, I don't. I think Utah would still put up a fight, but they don't look like they like hanging out with each other. So if things start to go awry, I could easily see them being like, I'm phoning in this game. I don't care. We're going to lose it. Let's just move on to the next one. Like, is this going to be a heart of a champion type of situation where they pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Uh, I doubt it. I sincerely doubt it. After having watched them over the past few years with this group, in essence, I mean, biggest difference is Joe Ingles isn't there. Got hurt and then got traded because he was hurt, and they tried to bring in extra bodies to fill the void, and Nikhail Alexander-Walker isn't really that individual. Um yeah, I think that game two is ominous. It looms large for the future of the Utah Jazz. Um, all right, we're moving on to the final one, and then we're going to close out today. So, a series that I said last week that I was most looking forward to, and I would imagine most people were looking forward to, lived up to the hype in that game one. To how good was that ending? And the weird thing uh, is it didn't necessarily need to go like that. It seemed like Kyrie on that possession before they brought it down with 11 seconds left and then Tatum makes that spinning layup at the buzzer. It seemed like Kyrie wanted to be the one to put the dagger in the heart of the Celtics after he had flipped off the crowd and... I saw, so I was watching the game. I didn't see the double bird behind the head, but I did see the him going, like mocking them on the before the inbounds play. Camera was deadlocked on him on a one shot and just watching it going, oh, that's, look at you being ballsy. I wonder if he'll get, you know, a fine for this. I would doubt it, but I'm sure Silver was looking at that. And... Just Kyrie takes the shot clock down to next to nothing, gets it to Durant, then Durant has to force up a contested three, and it brims out. But then the Celtics came down, and every Celtic touched the ball in that possession. It was really team basketball in that instance. Like when Smart got the ball uh, on the three-point line, I I assumed he was going to shoot. Or once he pump-faked, it took a couple steps in that he was going to shoot and to make the extra pass to a cutting Tatum was just a thing of beauty. You can even say the same for Jalen Brown when he brought the, he got the ball down on the right wing, you know, at the start of that play and he ran into double coverage. There was a time when Jalen Brown more than likely would have put that shot up. Um, and they pinged the ball around until they found what was the best option. And I mean, you can, you can look at it as a, a, a glass is half full from both teams perspectives. Cause for the nets, Durant didn't have a good game. Now you can credit the Celtics for uh, a chunk of that because the defensive plan for him was pretty stout. You know, anytime he's coming into the lane, there was a help defender. If he was trying to get to the elbow or the nail for his mid-range, guys knew it and were set up on defense with quick hands, uh, swiping balls away, um, and just creating pressure, knowing his favorite go-to spots on the floor and making him earn it from those spots. So the glass half-full perspective from the Nets would be there's no way you're going to be able to stop Durant numerous times in this series. So congratulations on your one. He's about to torch you in game two. Can't wait for this game. It's going to be so good. Now, if it were the opposite and Durant had a good game and Kyrie was stymied, I could easily see that being the case more consistently as most people would. Um, And now there's speculation that Ben Simmons is looking healthier and healthier and healthier and game four might be a realistic possibility. And the thing for someone like Simmons is you're not bringing him in to shoot buckets at this point. It's like, dude, 
run the point with us, which you are, or run the fast break rather, which you are a lead at, and be a defender. Now he's not going to be a hundred percent of the type of defender that he's been in the past, where he's, you know, uh, in the discussion for defensive player of the year, he is an all defensive team selection and he gets all-star nods and all NBA nods partly based on how good a defender he is. But even if he's 80% of that, that's an excellent defender. It's not top tier, but it gives them more uh, depth at defense because the nets have to make certain decisions on these lineups of, okay, if we're going to play, you know, Patty Mills or whomever it is, and I'm not trying to single Patty out, but you're also like Patty Mills or Curry. You're sacrificing on defense. So the gamble is, well, our net rating overall will be higher because our offensive rating will be more than we're giving up on defense with guys like this out on the court. And there are other moments where they're subbing in guys for their defensive abilities. But it is always this, this constant, you know, juggling for Nash to try and find the most balanced lineup out there to give him an opportunity. Whereas Ime, almost all of his guys are two-way players. I mean, the Celtics switch damn near everything. And they have guys that can guard practically all positions. I mean, Marcus Smart, how many times have you ever seen a center trying to back down Marcus Smart? And he's this, you know, when you see the juxtaposition of the two guys next to each other, Smart and whoever the other individual is, it's it's a a rock and a stone, like this massive a boulder and a stone. It's like he should be able to barrel him, but Smart is such a stout and strong guy. It's, you're not going to be able to muscle him down to the low block position that you're trying, you're angling for right now. Um, but he can switch pretty consistently one through five and Horford is suddenly doesn't look as old as he should. Um, and he's able to, now he can't do it all the time, but he can uh, flash out there and slow down guards and keep them honest. And Tatum has the size and the length Brown does as well. Derek white, uh, you know, they have depth overall and they have switchability which gives their defense tons of flexibility which the nets don't have and the nets have the superior firepower so it's a which is going to win out it favors boston because they also have firepower themselves they have guys that can get hot um now compared to duran and Kyrie, if we're just talking about offensive output it's pretty tough to match up against i mean duran is the best player out there, you can you can make a case that Tatum is the second best, but then it, right after that, it is it is Kyrie, or you could have Kyrie second. Um, I think best player overall, it's Durant, Tatum, and then we'll get down to discussion of who's next because the of the two way ability, uh, best offensive player, I still take Kyrie over Tatum. Um. And then for the Celtics, it's like you're also doing this without Robert Williams. And the more of this that you can do without Robert Williams, getting him the health from that meniscus surgery, the better. Take the time, big man. We're going to need you in future rounds when they have a stout interior presence that we're going to need you uh, helping protect the rim much more. And I thought, much like Brown's suggestion, in the post-game presser after play-in game, saying we should be able to take it to Horford and Tice, considering that Robert Williams isn't there. Uh, I agree with that sentiment. Couldn't believe he said it out loud, even though everybody knows it. Um, but it doesn't look like it's as exploitable after one game. Now, they did get you know, Tice into a little bit of foul trouble, and they could continue to do that. But on the flip side, like when the Nets have to play Claxton for extended minutes. Like they could have sealed this deal if Claxton is even remotely decent free throw shooter. And when he went to the line late in the game, I knew that he was missing at least one of those. And then he misses both. Had he hit 
won, well, then Tatum ties that game up. And now we're going to OT and no, who knows who wins. You favor the home team in that instance because they have to feed off the crowd. Uh, and Kyrie looked like he was kind of fed up with them at that point. But he also was having a tremendous game. And if it ends up that the Nets win this, we're talking or throwing all the glowing praise onto Kyrie uh, and showing up to his former building and putting it, you know, sticking it to the fans. Um, and him wishing that the narrative would move on when you do double bird and all that jazz and previously went up to lucky at the half court and stomped on his face and whatnot, you're exacerbating the situation. You wish you didn't have to deal with. You can't have your cake and eat it too. In this instance, either you stop doing these things and then you can stand piously above the fray and say, guys, aren't we better than this? You can't be down at the, in the gutters, flinging shit with the rest of the people and then wonder why people are flinging shit. It's like, I, I, sorry, this is a two way street. Um, yeah, I just happened to look over. Owen Hart said Tice gets the worst whistle in the league. Yeah. Trust me. I know that was, I watched him before he became a bull for that short stint, uh, when he was on the Celtics previously. And it's like, man, this dude gets called for everything. Um, and then he came to the Bulls, and I just knew it was going to be more of the same. I feel like it's worse on Boston, though, when he plays for them. Um, but yeah, Tice. So if you can get Tice into foul trouble, which isn't too difficult because the refs seem to want to be able to help you out in that instance, uh, it just thins their front court flexibility. And if they're forced to play Horford more, Horford's great, but he's also old, old by NBA standards. I'm not saying he's an old man, but he's old by NBA standards. Um, you know, when you have guys like Ja out there, who's what, 21, 22, it just looks like he has more energy than 20 of me personally is packaged into one individual. Um, and to having to go up against that, like, oh God, or Tyrese Maxey. Can you imagine trying to keep up with Tyrese Maxey for a full game? That's exhausting. Just looking at it. And I'm in good cardio shape and that looks wildly exhausting um so yeah i mean this series i can't wait for game two i have scheduled my day to where i end all my stuff at about 4 15 to 4 20 which by the way happy 4 20 everybody this used to be a day of the year that uh i wouldn't say i looked forward to because i was already smoking pot every day but i was like hey 4 20 smoke a little more pot today um, but yeah, I have, I am geeked for that one and I'll be watching the others as well. I wish I was as excited for the bulls game. I'm going to watch it, but same time, I, uh, <laughs> knowing that you're more than likely going to lose this series, unless there's a catastrophic injury to one of the player, other players, the opposing players, which I'm not hoping for. I don't want injuries on any team. Um, yeah, I'd rather, I would rather win against all your dudes healthy than, you know, Giannis goes down and you can rightly say, well, we didn't have Giannis. No, you didn't. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't want anybody to get hurt in general, but especially in the playoffs, they've put in so much time and effort to get to this moment. And now to see like Scotty Barnes, although he's a rookie, but still to go down or Luca to not be out there or now Devin Booker, where they're on a championship trajectory and could go down as one of the best regular season teams uh, in, in recent history. And then to cap it off with the championship, you just feel bad for him that you now have to sit out. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to watch. Thank you to everybody that joined in the chat. I apologize that I didn't get to it, but we have eight series to discuss. It is a lot of stuff, but quickly, uh, I'm just going to give uh, a nice recognition to everybody that joined today. Jeremy Bowers, Ruben 25 E Gary Wilson, Daniel Savoy, Owen Hart, JMB, um, Rashawn Robinson, Sean Gardner, Yuri McGarley, and I believe that is everybody. 
Steven Salas. That appears to be everybody. So my thanks to all of you. It was awesome to see all uh, you guys in the chat. Um, as there's fewer series to talk about, I'll get into it. I'll, I'll bring the chat back in more. Uh, just there's a, unless we want the show to be two hours long, need to, to cut down on certain aspects uh, of it, uh, which we will bring back in. Um, yeah, because next round, now there's only four series to discuss as opposed to eight. So there it is. I hope you guys enjoyed tonight's game. And thank you so much for tuning into this week's Dropping Dimes. Uh, I'll see you guys next week with another edition. Enjoy your playoffs. I'll talk to you soon. Stay safe out there. Adios. Adios.